chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. If you go with us in the word there, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, and we'll read God's word into your hearing. There in Romans 12, chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you submit your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want to share something from you, if you will, for just a moment. I want to share with you my interpretation of Romans 12 and 1. I know we have uh, the KJV version and we have the ESV version, which I often share. But if you will, for a moment, I'm going to share with you the LJC version. That's my personal version uh, of this particular passage. And I, and I think it's important and it's impactful for us to understand what it means to us. All right. So from my particular version, when I begin to translate and read the word here, it says it would be negligent of me if I fail to implore you, my brothers and sisters, to daily offer as a sacrifice set aside, devoted only unto God, which is pleasing to him. All of yourself, all of your conscious activities from the moment you wake up until you lay down your head to rest in sleep and do so as your true worship to him. As a natural appreciative response to the tremendous mercies God has extended to you. That's my personal version of what Romans 12 and 1 means. And I want to talk to you for a few moments today. My subject for the morning is 65 hours. Somebody say that with me. Say 65 hours. And we'll get to that. 65 hours. In the context of what we've been sharing relative to the contract, we talked about the terms, the offer, the acceptance. And today I want to talk about the consideration. The consideration is what you have negotiated in advance for one, the promisor to give to the promisee. That's what the consideration is, what the benefit, whatever it is, whether it's doing something, whether it's money, whether it's negotiable instruments, whether it's refraining from doing something. That's the consideration, the thing that is given in exchange for this promise or this offer to form a contract. That is the consideration. When I begin to consider that, it led me to Romans 12, 1 and 2. When I begin to consider Romans 12, 1 and 2, and it lays out for us, Paul does, in a manner, lays out for us that which we should be doing, that which we have to offer to God. It may not be much, but Paul lays out that which we should be offering to God. And in considering what we should offer, Paul makes it plain. He says, he says I beseech thee in the strongest terms. He's saying to us, I urge you, not command, but I urge you in the strongest terms possible to submit your bodies unto the Lord. When he's saying this, Paul is using a word here that's in between a request and a command. He's strongly urging us. When I think of what he means by this, I began to think of the rich man and Lazarus that you'll find there in Luke. It's Luke 16. The rich man, if you remember in the story of him and Lazarus, the rich man goes to hell. And Lazarus goes to heaven and the rich man is so tormented there in hell that he asked and request of Abraham. He said, will you please? Well, first he asked for a droplet of water to be placed on his tongue. But after that, when that that offer is refused, he says, will you at least go tell my brothers and plead them to do better so that they do not wind up tormented like I am in hell? He is wanting Abraham to urge, to implead, just short of command, his brothers to change their course of life so that they can do something better, so that they can be on the path that Christ has for them. That's what he is trying to urge the Romans through this letter in Romans 12 and 1. In doing so, I found it is my responsibility as a minister of the gospel to do the very same thing to you. 
to implead, to urge you. I cannot command, but between a request and a command, I'm strongly urging and impleading, imploring you to make sure that you're offering the best of yourself to God, which is in the King James Version, it says your reasonable service. But we will get to that. We'll get to what Paul means by reasonable service. So in examining the test, what, what Paul is trying to say, to say to us is that our consideration, the only thing that we can offer as a rightful response to the mercies of God. I want you to notice what the text says here. It says, this is your body. I, I, he said, I, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What he's saying is I'm not imploring you on my own behalf. But I'm asking you not to respond to my voice, but respond rather to the mercies of God that are available to you. He's saying, don't do it for Paul. Don't do it for me. Don't do it because I put these words together in a certain order and you're compelled by my words. But he's saying, rather, I desire that you be compelled by the mercies of God that I laid out for you in Romans chapter one, verse through eleven. In the first 11 chapters of Romans, I have laid out for you all the mercies that have been made available to you by Jesus Christ. So when considering the mercies that we talked about for 11 chapters, I want you to be convinced by those mercies and not by me, but by those mercies to submit your body unto the Lord. To submit yourselves a living sacrifice. Living sacrifice, it means that it's going to require more than just your body. But it's going to encompass everything about who you are when it says a living sacrifice. That's what Paul is trying to plead and implore us to do. That is the consideration that we can offer. And when you think about what you need to offer God, I think about it this way. When you, if somebody gives you a gift for your birthday, they give you a birthday card. You're appreciative. You're thankful. You're grateful. You show your appreciation. Now, if somebody gives you a car, your appreciation is on a different level. Can we say it that way? We're not at this point trying to debate the, the, the significance of spending so much money on a gift. I'm just saying that there is a difference in how you appreciate somebody giving you a birthday card and buying you a car, an automobile for your birthday. It's a difference in how you appreciate them. In fact, the manner in which you appreciate and the manner in which you are willing to sacrifice and give relative to show your appreciation is different because of the depth that was necessary, requisite for them to present you that gift. The same is with God. Because we owe him so much, our, our, our minds and our hearts should be in a posture where we are willing to give to him. We should not have to be persuaded by other people's words to give unto the Lord. We should not have to be persuaded by what other people say to give unto the Lord. We should not need to be persuaded by anything else that happens in our lives. Simply, we should be persuaded by what God has already done. One songwriter says, if he, if he hasn't done anything else, Lord, you've already done a lot enough. You, you gave your son to, to die for us on Calvary that, that we might have abundant life on earth and we might spend eternity with you if you don't do anything else. I'm compelled to serve you based upon what you have already done for me in my life. You don't have to convince me. And I don't do it grudgingly or of necessity. I do it out of the abundance of my appreciation for that which you have already done. I don't have to be persuaded. Does anybody have to persuade you that God is good? Does anybody really need to remind you of how good God is? Does anybody really need to tell you all of the things that God has done for you and allowed for you even to be here right now in this moment? God has done so much for us that if he does nothing else, my mind and my heart and my spirit are in a posture to give unto the Lord, not grudgingly, but out of the abundance of my heart. 
Because he, not because I loved him, but first because he showed me what love was. Because he loved me so much that he gave me the very best that he had. And out of the abundance, simply as a response to appreciate what God has already done, I give him my service. And that's what Paul is saying here. I want you to get this. Because some people who serve other gods think like this. They think I sacrifice. And I want you to get this if you get nothing else. I sacrifice to obtain mercy. When I've done wrong, I get down on my knees and they offer a sacrifice for the purpose of obtaining mercy. That's why they sacrifice in their religions. That's not why we give our bodies. That's not why we sacrifice. We sacrifice because God has already extended us mercy. So when I sacrifice, I'm showing appreciation for what he's already done. I want you to get that. Because if you think you sacrifice to obtain forgiveness, then it's as if your sacrifice pays the penalty. Your sacrifice does not have the ability to pay the penalty for your sin. Jesus dying on the cross paid the penalty for your sin. So when I sacrifice and give unto the Lord, you know what I'm doing? We've been talking about a contract. How do you form a contract? There's an offer. There's an acceptance. There's consideration. What you're doing, my sacrifice is my acceptance of what God has already given us. I sacrifice to God as a signal of my acceptance to what he's already done. My sacrifice by itself is not enough. By, you're not saved by works. By grace are you saved through faith. No matter how much I sacrifice, I can lay out a thousand bullocks on, a, on an altar if I want to and burn them up. It means nothing. Because that's not enough to pay for the penalty of my sin. It was only Christ's sacrifice of dying on the cross, which he has already done. The thing that saves me is to have faith in Jesus Christ. And my sacrifice is simply me showing appreciation. My giving myself, my consecrating, my giving my body and my, my, all of myself to him is showing appreciation for what he's already done. I can't earn it. I could sacrifice the rest of my life and never earn it. But when I sacrifice, I'm just appreciating what he's already done. Is anybody glad for what God has already done? We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We don't have enough money. There's not enough in us to give. To earn what God has done for us. But the very minimal of what we can give is of ourselves, of our service, of our bodies. That's all that we can give God. That's all that we can offer him. And when we offer it, it doesn't pay for anything. It simply shows our appreciation and acceptance of that of which he's already paid for. My sacrifice to you, Lord, I'm saying I accept that which you have already paid for. It's paid for in advance. Somebody say it's paid in advance. That's why the songwriter said Jesus paid it all. <laughs> I'm glad he paid it all because I can't afford it. I'm glad he, he paid it all because I cannot earn it. I'm glad he paid it all because no matter how much I sacrifice, it's not enough to pay for what he did for me. So the very minimal of what I can do is offer myself. Lord, I don't have much, but I'm offering myself. I know it doesn't pay for my sins, but it's all I have, so I offer myself. That's what Paul is saying as a response, an appreciative response, a normative response to what God has given us. Out of appreciation, we give of ourselves. It's a response to his mercies, not a response to Paul, not a response to the preacher. It's not a response even to what you have in your life. It's not a response to you getting a car. It's not a response to you getting a house. It's a response to the mercies that God extends to us when we mess up over and over and over and over and over again. 
It's a response to our appreciation for him sacrificing himself on Calvary for, for dying on the cross, for paying for something that I could never afford. For, 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 for ransoming his own life for my own. For being the sacrifice of sin for me. The very least I can give is of myself, my service, my body, my all to him. Somebody point at your name and say, God wants your all. God wants your all. So I want to ask you three questions today. What are you offering? Why are you offering? And how are you offering yourself? What are you offering? What exactly am I offering? Why am I offering it? And how do I offer it to him? A simplistic breakdown of what you're offering may be, it may be broken up into verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 1 and verse 2 simplistically broken up theologically might be what you offer as opposed to how you offer it. Look at verse 1. Verse more is, 1 is more what you offer. And verse 2 is more how you offer it. We're going to talk about what am I offering? It says present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Somebody put it this way, and I like how they put it. It's keeping my eyes from seeing evil, causing my tongue to only speak that which is good, preserving my mind from things that are unholy, that are not like God, and causing my hands to only do the things that God would have me to do. My eyes, my, my, my tongue, my hands, my mind. By preserving all of those for God's purpose, I'm literally offering myself as a burnt offering on the altar of God. When it says present, it uses the same word that's meant in Leviticus and Numbers talking about offering a sacrifice on the altar for God. So when Paul says present, remember Paul, Paul is, a, is of the order of the Pharisees. He knows the law. When he says present, he's talking about present your body, living everything that is you, as if you are putting it on an altar and burning it and offering it unto God. I heard another writer put it this way. One thing about the burnt offering, when it was burned, it was consumed, it was offered to God and you got nothing back. I want you to think about that. I'm, I'm presenting myself, all of who I am, on the altar before God. And God is consuming all of that and taking it. And I receive nothing back because I have presented it as a burnt offering unto him. It all belongs to him. It all belongs to him. And the problem sometimes is we present part of ourselves on the altar and we hold some things back. There are things that we should sacrifice and offer to God that we hold back. And I ask you this question, something to answer on your own time. What are you holding back? What are you holding back? What are you not completely Submitting and presenting to God. Remember, the burnt offering that is laid upon the altar of the Lord that is burned and consumed and you receive nothing back. There is no benefit that comes back to you because you're offering every single piece and bit of you unto God. I'm talking about what we're offering. God wants it all. He tells you, I want you to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy might. He wants every single bit of us. And when he says a living sacrifice, I just had to break it down simple. I'm a pragmatic person. When he says living, that means I'm offering things that I can only give him while I'm alive. So that lets him know, lets me know he's not interested in the carcass of itself. He's interested in what this invigorated carcass can do. He's not worried about the shell of my body, but he's only concerned about the shell of my body as it relates to what it can do while it is alive. While it is alive. Because if I, I, that means if God needs a living sacrifice, that means you can't save a dead person whose body is just laying there because they have nothing 
to offer. I wish you were with me here. Paul says a living sacrifice. You have to be alive. That which you can offer while you are alive is what God wants. It's what he wants. He doesn't want your flesh. That's why from from dust I, I, I came and to dust I will return. God doesn't want the dust. God wants what that invigorated dust can do while you are alive. That's what God wants. Well, I can't serve God as a carcass. Can't serve God as a piece of flesh laying on a slab. But only my invigorated, alive body can offer to God that which he desires. I have to be living. I have to be a living sacrifice. And it says holy. Holy meaning I have to be set apart. I came to tell you until you get it. The scripture says you are, uh, you know, uh, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation that's been called out of the darkness into the light. He's saying that, but only you're special if you're consecrated. You're only special if you're consecrated. So there's a lot of times people without knowledge and understanding hear the rules that God set out for Israel, his chosen people. And they don't understand why did they have all of these rules? Well, God said, if you're going to be my chosen people, there are certain things you have to do. You can live without being chosen. You can choose to live a life that's not consecrated and set aside to God, but you can't be my chosen people. If you're going to be chosen of God and live your life sacrificed unto him, then there's a set of rules I need you to abide by. That's why the children of Israel had all of these rules that other people did not have. Because they were set apart as God's people. And Paul says, and some of you say, well, that doesn't survive the New Testament. Well, what Paul says, he says, we know that all things work together. We, I told you, we's not everybody. We know that all things work together for the good of them who love the Lord and to them who are the called according to his purpose. You have no part in this scripture if you're not set aside in what you do, if you're not consecrated to me, if you're not following my will, if you're not doing what I told you to do. If you're not offering your body, yourself, uh, yourself as a living sacrifice unto me, you have no part in what this word says. If you want to take part in this word, that means you have to set aside yourself. You're special because you're consecrated. You're set aside by God because you've set yourself aside. You've offered your whole self as a burnt offering on the altar to God, and you're not holding anything back. And God uses it all and it consumes it and it goes up to him because that's what he requires of us. I'm asking, what are you offering? You're offering everything. Your tongue, your your mouth, what you say, your your thoughts, your mind, how you speak, your your purpose, your, your priorities, your direction. James writer says we shouldn't say I'm going to go do this and I'm going to do that. He only says I'll do that if God will. That means I'm seeking his will. I'm seeking his word. David says, let thy word be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm seeking your direction. I'm seeking understanding of you. I'm seeking your wisdom to replace my own understanding. I'm I'm seeking your word to give me direction to replace my own direction. I'm praying to you so that you can set my priorities in your order and not in my order. I'm submitting everything that I am and that I have to God. I submit it all to him. And if you don't think he wants it all, remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. If you don't think he wants it all. He said, Lord, what should I do to obtain the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said, well, you should abide by the commandments. Love the Lord your God with all thy heart. You should be respectful to your parents, honor thy father and thy mother. He said, I've been doing this as a youth. Jesus said, there's one more thing that I need you to do. So I want you to take all that you own and possess 
and give it to the poor. And the young man put, hung his head and walked away because he said, Lord, I'm willing to give some things on your altar, but I'm not willing to give it all. We have to prioritize God to the point that we're willing to give him our all. Willing to give him our all. And I just want to make it clear, I'm not talking about money right now. I'm not talking about money. Because some of you give money, but you don't give yourself. Some of you are better about giving your tithes than you are about giving yourself. God wants all of you. He wants you. He wants what you think. He wants your decision. He wants to be in on your decision-making process. He wants to be there setting him high above all your other priorities. God said, I want it all. Every bit of you is what I desire from you. Somebody say, God wants it all. That's what we give. We give God our all. That's what I am offering to him. Now, it's, then I ask the question, why am I offering? I told you what I'm offering. And then I said, why am I offering? Why? Why am I offering? I told you part of it. Part of what we're offering is simply a response to the mercies of God. We're doing this. It's our motivation because we're simply offering this out of response. Remember the person who gives you the car. You're going to try. If somebody gives you a car, you're going to find a reason to give them something. You're going to find a reason. You might bake them a cake. You might not have much. You're going to do something for them. You might go wash their car. You might go mow their lawn. You see what I'm saying? You're, you're going to do find a reason to do something for them. And why are you doing it? Not begrudgingly. You're doing it out of an abundance of appreciation for what they've done for you. So when I do things for God, I do it out of abundance of appreciation for that which he's already done for me. So I give him my time. We'll talk about that in a little bit. I give him myself. I give him my thoughts. I spend time in prayer. I read God's word and I'm not trying to get credit for it. I'm not doing it as the Pharisee who stood on the corner and said, I, I, I give my tithes. I'm always in church. He, he, he did it boastfully. And that's not what God wants. Because his motivation is wrong. It's not just that he's bragging about what he did. But the, the main problem is he's, he's telling us his motivation. His motivation is so he can be seen. His motivation is so he can prove that he's better than somebody else. You don't come to church to prove you're better than anybody else. You don't give your offerings and your tithes to prove that you have more than somebody else or to prove that you're better than someone else. You give it, you ought to give it out of an abundance of appreciation for what God has already done for you. That's why it says I don't need when someone gives, when someone sacrifices, when someone consecrates. Your, your right hand should know what your left hand is doing it because I'm not doing it for recognition. It doesn't matter if you know I'm consecrated. Doesn't matter if you know how much I'm giving. Doesn't matter how much somebody knows I come to church because I'm not doing it for you. I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it out of an abundance of appreciation for that which God has already done for me. It reminds me of the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair. And washed it with her tears and with her, with her ointment, with her alabaster box of ointment. She did so. She didn't do it for the purpose of all the other people who were there. She did it out of an abundance of the mercy that she desired to receive from Jesus Christ. She's like, I'm washing his feet and his hair because I want my sins to be washed away. I want him to extend his mercy in my direction. And that's why I'm offering everything that I have. The only difference between her and us is we're in a better position. The reason we're in a better position, I hope you get this, is because the thing that she was seeking when she did it has already been extended to us. It's already, it's already been extended to us. She, she, was, she was bowing down, she was crying that she might receive forgiveness, that she might receive mercy. Wiping his feet with her hair that he might wash away her sins. But we know that no, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole within nothing but the blood of Jesus? I'm precious is that quote. That he's already shed. Because he already died. 
because he's already extended in my direction. So my service is simply a show of appreciation and acceptance for what God has already done. For what he's already done. So you think you've done something because you praise God. Baby, you were 2,000 years behind when you started thinking about praising God because he did it over 2,000 years ago. Suffered, bled, and died before you even tried to get your mind right to form your lips to praise him. So David's right when he says, if I had 10,000 tongues, I could not praise him. I could not bless him enough for everything that he's already done, for the mercies that he's already extended to me. And David, he's in his poetic style. He, I, I love how he continues the refrain, for his mercy endureth forever. Thank God his mercy didn't expire before I was born. But his mercy was waiting for me when I came wrapped in sinful flesh. His mercy was waiting for me when I finally got my mind right and decided I wanted to serve him. His mercy was waiting for me when I messed up the first time. His mercy was waiting for me when I messed up the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth and yesterday. Y'all ain't going to help me in here. But his mercy... I wish somebody were real way in here with me. His mercy was waiting on me. And his mercy is not a new act. Oh, I wish you would get this. It's not new act. His mercy was already waiting on me because he already died on the cross. His mercy is available because of his sacrifice. So I serve him just to show that I'm accepting God for what he's already done. He's already done. That's Paul saying, I'm pleading you. I'm imploring you. I, 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 I'm stating my case on behalf of Jesus Christ. And I've done so in the first 11 chapters of Romans because I want you to understand that when you offer yourself, you're not doing it for me. You're not doing it because I asked. You're not even doing it because God has done something new. You're doing it based on something that he's already done because he's made his mercy available to you. I want you to find somebody, point at them and say, God's mercy is available to you. That's why I offer. And what am I, why am I offering that? Because that's, that's my true worship. That's my true worship. God don't mind this. God don't mind that. God don't mind you speaking in tongues. Don't God don't mind you shouting and yelling from the, the top of your voice and your lungs when you're inside the sanctuary, giving him your all, you're giving him your praise. He don't mind that. But your true worship is when you offer him all of yourself. Because this this is what I'm saying. Some people, the reason they want to go to church and run and shout and yell and spit and sweat. You want to you want to know why they want to go to a church where they can do that? Want to know why? Because that's all they're offering. That's all they're offering. That's all they're offering. They said, oh, I gave God some praise this week. I gave him my all. What, for an hour? Is that what you gave him? Is that all he's worth? Running, jumping, yelling, shouting. Rolling in the floor, sweating for an hour, maybe two hours. Is that all he's worth? And some people, they want that experience. There's nothing wrong with it. I have no problem with it. I've run and, and rolled on the floor myself. Come on now. But that can't be all you're offering. That can't be the extent of your sacrifice to God. Those are the people who, when they go to the altar of God, instead of presenting themselves as a burnt offering, they're kind of more like a microwaved offering. It's not a burn offering. It's just microwaved. It's warmed up. Come on now. Some of y'all know you put something in the oven for too long, it'll burn up. You pull out that pan and there'll be nothing left but smoke. You put it in the microwave, there's going to be something left. It's going to be hot. It may not smell good if you left it in there too long, but you're going to have something left. Are you offering God a burnt offering 
or a microwaved offer. Because if you are not offering him a burnt offering, that lets me know that you not only don't understand the what that you should be offering, but you don't understand the why. Because if you understand the why, the what doesn't bother you. If you understand the why, the what does not bother you. If I understand why I'm offering, I'm offering it because of what Christ has already done for me. That's why. When you understand the why, it doesn't matter what. Let me, let me put it to you this way. There are some people in your life right now, and you'll think of it when I say it. They've done so much for you that no matter what they ask of you, you running to go do it. Come on now. Some people, some, it might be your mama, it might be whoever it is. But that, it doesn't matter what time they call you, doesn't matter how much money they ask, doesn't matter what it requires, doesn't matter if it's an inconvenient time. You're going to drop everything you're doing and go help them because that's how much they done to you, done for you. That's how much they mean to you. Because when you get there, the what doesn't matter because you know your why. Because that's my mama. And I'm going to drop anything for my mama. If they don't let me leave this job, they can have this job. I'm going to come on in here with me now. I'm going to go check on my mama. It doesn't matter the what, because you understand the why. So if you get in your heart the why, I'm offering this unto God out of the abundance of the mercies that he's extended in my direction, then whatever he asks of me does not matter. Doesn't matter. I put it on the altar as a burnt offering that is consumed. And if I get nothing back, that's fine because that's how much I trust God. Because I know my why. And some of you, let me tell you this. Some of you cannot advance because you're holding on to your what? Because you don't understand why. Some of you can't go to another level in God. Because you're grasping on to your what? Because you don't understand your why. You're not free. You're bound. You're limited to where you are. You're holding with all of your might onto your what? Because you don't understand your why. But God said when you understand your why, you release your what? And I'll give you much more. That's what that's the simple idea that God was giving David when David went after Bathsheba. You remember when David went after Bathsheba and then the prophet Nathan had to come and correct David. So why are you taking another man's wife? You have a bunch of wives and a bunch of concubines. And listen to what God said. He said, and God said, if you had to simply desired more. If you had told me. I would have given it to you. I want you to get that in your own spirit because some of you are grasping so hard onto your what that you're not you're losing sight of your why. And God's saying, I need you to release those things. Release them. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. Release those carnal things that that you have put your hope and your faith in. He said, if you release them and understand your why, he said that you can ask anything in my name. When you know your why. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. When you understand your why, you're not holding on to what you have. To fully get a grasp of what you're doing for God, you have to understand why. Why? Because his mercy endures forever. Why? Because he's already extended his mercy in my direction. Why? Because the only true way I can worship him is by giving him all of myself. Somebody point at someone else again and say he wants it all. I'm going to have to finish here. But how do I offer? And I told you that's in verse two. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. That means I'm not basing my worship and get this too, because this is my problem sometimes with people who are running and jumping and, and spitting and sweating. And that's all they're offering God. You know why sometimes they're doing it? Because being conformed is not just about the world. You can be conformed in church. 
Come on now. I told you. We just talked about understanding your why. Why are you jumping? Why are you spitting? Why are you sweating? Why are you rolling around on the floor? Are you doing it because you see other people doing it? Because if you're doing that, that's conformed. That's not transformed. So you've always thought of conformed in the context of the world. Oh, I, I, other people drinking, so you drinking. Other people smoking, you, uh, you smoking. If other people are, are, are praising and that's the reason you're praising, that's conformed. That's not transformed. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your own mind. I clap my hands, but I don't do it because the person next to me is clapping their hands. But I clap my hands because there's something going on on the inside of me that causes me to praise God. And baby, that means I'll clap and I'll praise. If you sit there like a rock, if you don't say nothing, if you act like you're stuck to your seat, it doesn't matter to me. If you look like you got constipation, baby, I'm not worried about your face. I'm not worried about what you're doing with your body. I'm not worried about whether or not you're praising them because my praise doesn't come from the outside. My praise come from the abundance of what God has done for me on the inside. So I don't need an organ to praise God. I don't need drums to praise God. I don't have to be inside a church to praise God. I don't have to have a suit on to praise God. Doesn't matter where I am when I'm getting ready to praise God, for my praise does not come from the outside. But my praise is something on the inside bubbling over. Jeremiah said God's word on the inside is like fire shut up in my bones. I would be quiet. I would be still. But it's not what's going on on the outside. But there's something going on on the inside. That's why I open my mouth. That's why I give God's praise. That's why I can't shut up when other people tell me to shut up. Because the authority to speak didn't come from the outside. I wish y'all would help me right here. My testimony didn't come from the outside. But my testimony is based on something that happened to me on, on the inside. I'm not conformed by what happens around me, but I'm transformed by what God has put in me. Because even when I wasn't doing right, the Ruah breath of God was already in me. Because he already breathed it in Adam. That breath of God was already on the inside. That part of me that wants to reflect the goodness and the majesty of God was already in there. So when God redeemed me, he wasn't redeeming this shell. He wasn't redeeming this flesh. He was redeeming that which he had already breathed in me, that which he had already put in me, that was seeking after him. It was seeking after him when I was smoking and doing drugs. It was seeking after him when I was drinking and getting drunk. It was seeking after him when I was laying all around with everybody, trying to find that connection, trying to find that spark, trying to get that relationship, trying to, to establish that fire. But it was God on the inside trying to reach out yeah. under here. That's why everybody has that testimony that you were sitting in the back. And it wasn't what people were doing on the outside, but there was something that spoke to you on the inside that said, I need to come to the altar. Something on the inside that said, I need to get closer to God. Something on the inside that connected you to, with the message. It wasn't what was happening on the outside, but there was something happening to you on the inside. It's happening to you on the inside. So I'm challenging you right now. My time is up. I'm challenging you that you can do more. Somebody point at someone and say, you can do more. There's more in you to give to God than you realize. Stop giving God a microwaved offering. You need to offer to him a burnt offering. And I shared with you my text. My thought for today was 65 hours. When I said that God was speaking to me, when I said I was it was something I was talking to God about and God challenged me. And I, I like to challenge you with what God challenges me with, because I feel like that, that it spoke to me and it may speak to you. He said, you got more time than you think. He, you have more in you than you think. You have more of yourself to give than you think. Every week you have 168 hours. Every week you have 168 hours. And you're saying, well, pastor, well, I got to sleep. All right. 
They recommend eight hours of sleep a week. Eight times seven is 56. 168 minus 56 is 112. You didn't know there'd be math today, did you? So you have 112 waking hours. 112 waking hours, or hours that you are awake. But pastor, I got to work. I got a job. All right, you got a job. 40 hours a week. 112 minus 40 is 72 hours. You have 72 hours. Of course, those who don't work, you got more than that. I've already, I've already passed you. You 112. <laughs> I, I, I got to work, Pastor. I, I got to go to work. I have to go to school. Subtract that 40 hours. You got 72 hours. Well, uh, uh, but, but see, Pastor, I got to get ready in the morning, and then I got to drive to work and drive from work. Well, the average time will give you an hour and, and 20 minutes of change. So you got 65 hours. 65 hours. 65 hours that you're not sleeping. 65 hours that you're not at work or at school. 65 hours that you're not traveling to work or from work or getting ready for work. 65 hours. Let me ask you this. What did you do with your 65 hours this week? What did you do with it? Remember, I, I'm challenging you with what I've already been challenged with. I already had my cry over this. I'm passing it on to you. 65 hours. What did you do? Imagine all the things that you say you don't have time for. I don't have time to exercise. Yeah, 65 hours. I don't have time to connect with my friends and my family and return phone calls and text. You have 65 hours. I don't have time to spend reading God's word. You have 65 hours. And let me tell you something. Nowadays, you don't even have to read the word yourself. They'll read the word to you. When I found that button, that blessed me. I love that. I press that play button when I'm running, when I'm exercising, when I'm on my way to work in the car. Press the play button. It reads the word to you. Then I got even better this year. I like to go through the Bible every year at least once. So last year I was just playing press play on the little Bible app so it would read it to me. This year I found a podcast. The podcast reads the, through the Bible with you, and then the man even gives you a little summary of what you, you just went through. Every day for 365 days, all I have to do is press play. I have 65 hours. So why are you not praying to God in your 65 hours? Why are you not reading God's word? You have 65 hours. What is it that you can't accomplish that you're blaming to a lack of time when every week, every week, not just this week, but every week, God gives you 65 hours. I asked you one question. I'm going to close with this one. I asked you, what did you do with your 65 hours this week? And I want you to really think about that. And then I'm going to challenge you with this. What are you going to do with your 65 hours this week? It's not just having them because you've always had them. But there's a difference between having it and knowing what you have. Now I've let you know. You're on notice. Somebody point at your neighbor and say, you're on notice. You're on notice now. You already had them. I didn't give you something you didn't already have. I'm just making you aware of the gift that you've already been given. You have 65 hours. What are you going to do with it? And are you giving God everything? that he's due. I want you to stand on your hand, put, stand on your feet, put your hands together and give God some praise. Come on, put those hands together and praise God. Can I pray with you? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord. This word and message came to challenge me, and I pray it came to challenge your people. To challenge the what, the why, the how we give. And Lord, even recognizing that we have more to give than we often offer to you. Help us, Lord, to do better. Help us, Lord, to be better stewards of our time. Help us, Lord, to structure our days and our weeks better, that we might be better, more responsible servants for you, that we might be the light that you're calling us to be to the world, that they might see our works, but yet glorify our Father which art in heaven. 
And Lord, we ask all these things in thy son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There may be someone today who recognizes your life is not right with God. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Everyone in this audience, for those who will be watching virtually, just lift those hands and pray. Say, Lord, I am a sinner. I have come short of your glory. And I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for all of my sin. Please forgive me. Lord, I believe that you were crucified that you died and were buried, but rose again with all power in your hand. And today, I claim you as my Savior and my Lord. Jesus, come into my heart, and I'll make you my Savior and my Lord. Come on, put those hands together and give God some praise. You said that prayer by faith. You said it with commitment in your heart, then you are saved. You are saved. For those of you who are watching virtually, we praise God that you were with us and we pray God's blessings upon you this week until I shall see you again. Be blessed. I hope and pray that each of you were touched and inspired by our service today. If you wish to partner with us, you can do so by Give a Fun. Download the app on Apple Store or Google Play and search for Bright Temple. If you wish to partner with us on Cash App, just look for Bright Temple in the two line. And in the four line, tell us the purpose of your gift. If you would rather mail your gift, you can mail us at Bright Temple, Post Office Box 453, Shelbyville, Tennessee, 37162. Thanks in advance for your generosity, and we pray God's blessings on you and your gift.